I just feel so lonely. I wonder if she's ever going to text me back. so much. Why am I so anxious all the time? What should I have for dinner today? I'm so worried just about breathe. that job interview. Just breathe. I really should work out today. I just can't catch a break. Would you love me? Just if try to really relax. Me? I can't just keep breathe. doing this. Just breathe. I, I just feel so lonely. I'm so worried about that. Why am I really so anxious? I wonder if she's ever going to Breathe. Well, good morning, everyone. If uh, one of those voices that is in your head all the time is wondering what would happen to your loved ones, your family, your stuff, if something were to happen to you, cannot encourage you enough to attend that two o'clock workshop that David is going to be offering. Uh, Amber and I went through it about five years ago, and we were able to pull together all of these loose ends so that we don't have to worry about that anymore. And if you are looking for ways to just make some wise investments, maybe shelter some from taxes, 1230, show up. David is full of wisdom and information, and uh, you will not leave empty-handed. Uh, so we appreciate you, brother, so much for coming out and helping us with that. There are things that we have been taught in life that we believe and we hold on to as true that are simply false. They are not true. For instance, how many of you have memories from your childhood of being held down by your mom or your dad so that they could pour hydrogen peroxide into a wound? Because somehow that little brown bottle of liquid nails that produces like this acidic reaction is going to help it heal faster. Anybody else with me on that? You remember that? There is nothing that hurts quite as much as that stuff right there. But here's the thing, doesn't help at all. Doesn't, does not do a single thing. In fact, research shows that the opposite is true. It prolongs the healing process because it damages the cells. And every five-year-old who has ever had that poured on, they're like, well, duh, of course it does. I could have told you that. That stuff is excruciating. <laughs> Here's another one. Chewing gum will stay in your stomach for seven years. I remember the first time I swallowed chewing gum. I did the math. I'm like, man, I'm going to be old when that is no longer with me <laughs> anymore. But it doesn't. It, chewing gum does not stay in you for seven years. Chewing gum just doesn't digest. And I'll leave the rest up to you about what happens after that. <laughs> Here's one that I learned last summer. And I've got to be honest, it rocked my world. I always believed that going swimming after you eat wasn't safe, that you had to wait at least 30 minutes because if you even looked at the water wrong, you might die. You, not you, might, you will drown. It is a guaranteed. And, and I just was never willing to take that gamble. And so I always waited before getting back into the pool or the lake. But here's the thing, it's not true. And some of you right now are even like, mm, I'm pretty sure that's true. I'm telling you, pull out your phone, Google it, because Google never lies. But there are reputable articles that say you can swim after you eat. It's perfectly safe. Now, a little bit of pain from peroxide or worrying about gum being stuck in our stomach for seven years or even missing out on some valuable swim time. <laughs> Believing these things that aren't true isn't a huge deal. Like it's not going to affect our lives too much. But man, a lot of us are believing lies that have serious, serious, serious implication on our mental health, on our lives, and 
our relationships. And many of us believe that we aren't good enough and we never will be. It doesn't matter what we do or how hard we try. We'll never measure up. Many have bought into the lie that, that if they can just accumulate more and more and more, then they are going to be happier and they spend their lives chasing that elusive dream only to find that the only thing they want more of is more stuff, more stuff to try to make them happy, but that happiness never comes. Many people believe that they're never going to be able to change. They believe the lie that this is just who I am and who I will always be. A lot of people believe the lie that there's no way God could love them. Or maybe at best, God tolerates them and, and they have a very hands-off approach to the Father. All of these are lies that we believe and they are waging war in our mind. This battle that is taking place in our headspace. And here's why this matters so much. In his excellent book, Winning the War in Your Mind, Craig Rochelle writes these words. He says, a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. A lie that you believe is truth will affect your life as if it were true. In other words, if you believe the lies that Satan is whispering to you, lies that have created a stronghold in your life, if you believe those as truth, then they will affect your life as if they are. They will affect your mental health. They will affect your relationships as if they are true. And so if you go through life believing the lie that, that you are the victim in every situation, then then you will never be able to pull out and own your own personal responsibility and some of the difficulties that maybe you experience in your life or your relationships. If you believe the lie that the only way you will be loved is if others approve of you, and man, you will spend your life making compromises that make other people happy but leave you feeling used and abused and brokenhearted. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul is so adamant about telling us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, this passage that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago, to hold those thoughts, those lies captive and make them obedient to Christ before we become obedient to the lie. Hold that lie captive before you become captivated by it. And there is an urgency to Paul's words here because what happens is over time, these lies that we believe, they create mental ruts that we get stuck in. And if you've ever been stuck in a rut in your car, you know how hard it can be to pull out. You just sit there and you spin your wheels. And many of us, our mental energy just feels like we are constantly spinning wheels in our minds. We're stuck in these ruts. And they form into what social scientists call cognitive biases. A cognitive bias, the simple definition is believing something is true because of past experiences. Whether they're true or not, you believe that they are true because of past experiences. And that just reinforces any time an experience even comes closely to resembling it. And so if your trust was broken by someone, 
You may develop a cognitive bias that no one can be trusted and you hold everyone at arm's length. If you grew up with a critical parent that just spoke harsh words to you, every aspect of your life, then any type of criticism that you receive, maybe even constructive criticism that is for your own good and growth and development is going to be searing. It's going to feel like a personal attack. If you have a string of decisions that have backfired, you may develop a cognitive bias that makes you believe that you can't do anything right. If you grew up in an argumentative home or live in one even right now, then any conflict feels destructive and and you push back from it and, and you try to walk on eggshells to keep the peace. These cognitive biases or lies that we believe of because of past experiences, they create lenses through which we see everything else. They create a framework on which we build our lives and they become strongholds that affect how we think about ourselves, how we think about our situations, how we even think and feel about others. And while you cannot change what has happened to you, you can control how you respond to it through what's called cognitive reframing. Learning to identify and correct irrational thinking based on past experiences. It's using the word of God to speak truth and help this shape how you view those around you, your circumstances, and even yourself so that you can respond with the truth instead of the lie. And the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul who is teaching and practicing this stuff long before modern psychology was even a thing shows us a great example of how to do this in our text today. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I love scripture because of its ability to teach and correct and rebuke and train me so that I can be more like Jesus. I also love scripture because oftentimes it gives me examples to follow and examples not to follow. (laughs) And, And in here, in our text that we're going to be looking at today, Paul gives us an example to follow in how to reframe these things that happen in our lives. If you're a student with scripture, you know that Paul is writing this letter to his friends in Philippi from a prison in Rome. Now, now Paul had longed to go to Rome because he saw this as kind of a cultural epicenter. If the gospel could be preached there, then Jesus could be made known throughout the entire world. But instead of finding himself in Rome, preaching and spreading the gospel freely on the streets and the synagogues, like he had hoped, Paul was locked up as a prisoner. He was chained to a guard. He was awaiting his sentencing that could possibly lead to his own execution. Not where he thought he would be and certainly not where he wanted to be. And Paul very easily could have let his circumstances get the best of him and his faith. He could have sulked in his misery, questioned God's goodness. God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? He could have questioned the power of prayer. 
He could have thrown in the towel and said, it's just not worth it, I'm done. But through all of this, Paul understood a principle that will help us fight off the lies in our own headspace today. He knew that you cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond to it, how you frame it. And so here's how Paul chose to respond. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so Paul looks at his situation and he says, yeah, things didn't turn out the way I thought they would. But listen, God is working in this situation in ways I never could have imagined. He says this is actually serving to advance the gospel. And you don't say that something is actually doing something unless you are surprised that it actually is doing it. <laughs> a couple of years ago, uh, summers ago, my daughter Nora and I, we went on uh, a family camp mission trip that our church does every summer to a reservation in Wyoming. And in the afternoon, there was a, a little group of people that went to a um, snow cone place uh, just down the road. I wasn't able to go, but Nora went with them. And uh, it was a place called Piccadilly's. And so they make regular, like, you know, normal snow cones that you're used to. And you get the shaved ice and you can put whatever flavor on there that you want. But then they top it with diced pickles and pickle juice. Yeah, exactly. Like, that sounds awful, doesn't it? And so Nora came back and I was like, so how was it? And she's like, it was actually pretty good. <laughs> like, how are you my daughter? That sounds disgusting. But she said it was actually pretty good. Why? Because she did not expect it to be good. I don't think that Paul expected this. I don't think that Paul expected to see the gospel advanced while he was in jail. And he looked at his situation with fresh eyes and he says, man, God has blessed me with prison guards who are chained to me. They are literally a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. And so I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And the best part is every eight hours, I get a new audience that comes next to me. Paul wanted to preach Jesus and see the gospel spread throughout Rome. And it was actually happening, just not in the way he thought that it would. And he would have totally missed it, totally missed what God was doing. If he looked at his situation and started grumbling and giving up. Instead of believing the lie that our current circumstances are permanent and we're jumping to the conclusion that nothing good could come from it, Paul reframed his thinking and he saw the good that God was working out for his glory just like he promised to do. He saw Jesus being shared and believers being strengthened and encouraged and it formed within Paul a new sense of boldness to walk faithfully. 
And so how can we reframe our thinking about the situations that we find ourselves in? How can we reframe a cognitive bias that makes us believe something is true based on our past experience that might actually be a lie that keeps us trapped? I want to share some tools with you today that have been shared with me over the years in various settings uh, in hopes that they will help you as much as they have helped me. And to begin, I think it's really important that we understand how our thoughts and our emotions and our behaviors all kind of wrap and intertwine with one another. And, and I've, I've always found this diagram to, to be helpful for me. And so you have a, a situation, you know, something that happened, something that you are going through, something in your life. And, and those situations that we go through, inevitably, all the time, they trigger a thought within us. The thought is how you interpret the situation. And oftentimes, those thoughts that pop into our mind, we don't even have time to stop and think about them. They just are on autoplay. They are those cognitive biases that come out within us. And those thoughts just flow, and then they begin to inform our emotions. How you feel about yourself. How you feel about the situation or the other person based on the thought that you have about yourself or them or the situation that you're in. And then those emotions inform our behaviors. And so your behavior is a response to your thoughts and your emotions to the situation. Now, now notice I did not say that your behavior is a response to the situation because it's not. Your behavior is a response to how you think and how you feel about what you are going through. And so here is a real life example uh, that uh, plays out between me and, and Amber sometimes. And it's hypothetical mostly. <laughs> She'll ask me to do something, say, uh, grab a gallon of milk on, on the way home from, from the office. And so she calls me and says, hey, uh, you know, I need you to grab a gallon of milk. We're, we're out of there. I'm like, no problem. I'm on it. Uh, Daddy to the rescue. I've got it. And uh, I leave and I pass Kroger, totally forgetting that five minutes ago I told her that I was going to stop in there and grab the milk. Uh, please tell me I'm not the only one that uh, gets forgetful like that sometimes. And so I walk into the house and I'm ready to give her a big hug and a kiss. And she looks at me and she's like, hey, where's the milk? And, and her thought is, yeah, Sean can be kind of forgetful sometimes. Maybe he left it in the, the car, and so I don't want it to go bad. And so he'll go out and get it, because she's very gracious like that. <laughs> but when she asks me, where's the milk? It, it doesn't feel like a question. It feels like an accusation. <laughs> and my thought is, Sean, you are such an idiot. How could you forget to grab the milk? You can't do anything right. Sound familiar? And in that moment, the enemy bombards me with all of these negative emotions based on lies. Satan's constant whispers all of a sudden become shouts. And he screams at me, no one will love you if you make a mistake. 
You're so stupid. How could you forget to do something like that? And I slap all of these labels on myself, none of them good. And I figure if I'm doing it, then Amber's probably doing it to me as well. And I start to assume that I know what she is thinking. And so clearly in that moment, she's probably thinking, well, what is wrong with him? I asked him to get the milk five minutes before he left the office. He can't do anything right. Why in the world did I even marry this guy? (laughs) Now, obviously that's not what she's thinking. But my thoughts lead me to start feeling that way. And it just becomes this repetitive cycle. I'm projecting all of these thoughts on her, trying to read her mind, and they just reinforce those negative emotions. All because I forgot the stinking milk. (laughs) And the resulting behavior of these thoughts and emotions is that I get defensive. Well, you don't know what kind of day I had. You shouldn't have called me five minutes before I left the office. Why didn't we have it in there anyway? Ooh, that would not be a good thing to say. (laughs) Or I withdraw, verbally beat myself up. I'm such a loser. How did I forget that? Amber starts going back through this cycle and new thoughts enter into her mind, maybe. It's all up to me. I need to do all the grocery shopping. Can't trust anybody. And on and on and on, we go around this triangle of thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. And listen, it's not because I forgot the milk. It's because of how I interpreted the situation through the lenses of my thoughts, my emotions, and my behaviors that follow. Because watch this, and here's the power of this. Imagine the same scenario. I walk in empty-handed. Amber says, hey, where is it? Right there, right there. I have a choice to make. How will I respond? I can't change the fact that I forgot to grab it but I can control how I respond to it. I can control what I think about myself or the situation. Imagine the difference if instead of irrationally labeling myself, making all of these assumptions and making the situation only worse, I simply said, oh, I completely forgot. I'll run out to the store and be right back. That crazy triangle that we were on, immediately off. Because I reframed the situation and responded like a mature human being who sometimes makes mistakes but is still loved by God and my wife because the lie that Satan whispers that if you make a mistake, you can't be loved is simply not true. My identity and my value and my worth is not wrapped up in that. It is in Jesus, and that will never change, no matter how forgetful I can be sometimes. That gives me the freedom, then, to confess, to not hide. Gives me the freedom to ask for forgiveness, own my mistakes, do what I need to do to make it right. Now, the milk situation is a silly example. But I bet that we all can think of our own situations that trigger some thoughts in us, that lead to some emotions, that quickly lead to behaviors, and we are just stuck in this rut. We can't get out. And it's affecting our mental health. It is affecting our lives. It is affecting our relationships. It's why you always respond the same way in every situation, even though you know the pain that it causes 
And the key is before those thoughts turn into emotions, which then inform their behaviors, to push pause right there. Push pause and identify your thinking errors. Thinking errors are these cognitive biases that just auto-replay in our minds. It's when we overgeneralize and think just because something happened once, then it's always going to happen. I didn't get that job, and so I'm never going to be able to find a job. No one's going to hire me. I got a D on that midterm assignment. I'm such a loser. I'm not going to pass. That's a thinking error, overgeneralizing things. Another thinking error that I'm prone to, maybe you are too, is catastrophizing a situation. It's when we automatically assume the worst case scenario is going to happen. As someone who doesn't get headaches very often, when I get one, I'm like, is this it? Is this a bit like, I've had a good run, but I'm not ready for it to come to an end quite yet. (laughs) Another thinking error is mind reading. Thinking that we know what someone else is thinking or feeling when we don't. And when we try to read someone's mind, we respond in a way that could be completely different than what they're actually thinking or feeling. All of these are thinking errors and they trigger negative emotions within us that affect our headspace, how we live, how we treat others, how we even treat ourselves. We put together a list of uh, common thinking errors, and we're going to have it on our website here in the next couple of days at socc.org slash headspace. I invite you to go there. You can, you can download it. You can also download and print off a little worksheet that will help you to replace your thinking errors with the truth of Scripture and with rational thoughts. Help you reframe like Paul did in his letter to the Philippians to see what is really going on so that you combat Satan's lies and the truth of God will live in you and fight for you in this battle in your headspace. The life you have is so often a reflection of the thoughts you think. And what comes into your mind tends to come out in your emotions and your behaviors. It's why Paul tells us to hold those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. It's why he tells us in Romans chapter 12 to no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A renewing and a transformation that can only happen by the grace of God through Jesus. And the truth is, you can use every psychological trick in the book and still be stuck because you cannot win this battle on your own. Our hearts and our souls and our minds, they don't need improvement. They don't need self-help. They need radical and complete and total transformation through Jesus. And his death, burial, and resurrection, they, it doesn't just rescue us from our sin. It has the power to restore what sin has broken and what Satan has stolen from us. And we see Jesus, even Jesus practiced what we're talking about today when he went to the cross. I was reminded in my devotional time this morning that as Jesus was being nailed to the cross, what did he pray? Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Father, forgive them. 
In that situation, Jesus could have had all of these thoughts. God, why have you, where are you? God, call down a curse right now. But he trusted God and he prayed, Father, forgive them. The power of the Holy Spirit living in us renews and transforms every part of us so that we can respond the way Jesus did. We can respond the way Paul did. And as we replace the lies we believe with the truth that is living in us, as we pursue more and more and more of Jesus, we will know the truth, not the concept, but the person. And the truth will set us free. And if you are ready to be set free by that truth today, if you are ready to give yourself to Jesus, to turn and to follow him, and we want to help you do that. Let me pray, and then we'll respond. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for goodness and for the examples that you have given us in Scripture of how to live and how not to. And I'm grateful that Paul was able to look at his situation and see the beauty of how the gospel was still being spread throughout Rome and beyond. Lord, we are going through so many difficult trials. And God, I don't even pretend to know the depth of pain that some people are going through right now. What they are experiencing, the hopelessness, the hurt, the loss. And, and God, this is not just about putting on rose-colored glasses and pretending like everything's okay. No, it's not about that at all. That's not true, and Lord, you deal in truth and reality. The truth and the reality is that you are the shelter and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. You are a refuge from which we can run and we can hide. And so, Lord, even when we look around and we can't see anything good, God, help us to see you. Help us to know that you walk with us. You are for us, not against us. Help us to combat Satan's lies that this life, that this world, that this situation, our circumstances are all that it is. And help us to have eternity set in our hearts, God, to cling to you. Give us strength, God, to walk through whatever we can walk through in the faith and the power of the Spirit living in us and working through us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for your presence and our pain. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.